It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome to the National Security Hour. I'm Ed Huglin, your host for this evening. Welcome to the new year here. As we start this year, I'm going to address and focus on four specific areas and themes for the year in preparation for the upcoming election. I'll talk about seizing the narrative. I'll talk about proactive and positive legislative agenda, about overhauling our national security apparatus and ensuring the resiliency of a republic, constitution, and freedoms. Now, each week I'm here on the National Security Hour to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I try to provide you a more strategic perspective on everything that's going on in the world as it relates to cognitive warfare. Tonight's episode is going to be unique and that I'm going to give you a little personal insight, a little personal perspective behind the scenes of my own background. Tonight's episode is titled, Life's a Bitch and Then You Die, Give Thanks. That's correct. Life's a bitch and then you die, give thanks. Now, many people will take a look at that statement and consider that to be a very pessimistic statement. <clears throat> Quite the contrary. It's one of the most optimistic statements that one can make. It was back in the 1980s when I had a coffee cup that had that quote on there, that life's a bitch and then you die. And I thought about it. I thought about it quite a bit. And I realized that, you know, if you actually believe in God, then that is truly one of the most optimistic statements one can ever make. Now, why should we give thanks? Well, I'll talk about that more during the whole program here today. But why we should give thanks? Because by definition, every American citizen, naturalized or other, or born here, is by definition one of the most privileged people on the face of this earth. And not just for the current century, for the last several millennia. We have had the most gracious opportunities, the most robust freedoms, the most compelling independence of any nation in the history of this earth, in the history of mankind. So tonight, I'm going to give you a little perspective in terms of what national security means to me in the context of life's a bitch and then you die. Give thanks. Talk about some cultural and social challenges for America and appreciation for the blessings of our republic's freedoms, constitution, and opportunities. Let me start with a little bit of a, a background here on national security and what it means to me. But before I talk about what it means to me, let's take a look at some quotes from different de definitions. So national security is the security and defense of a nation, including its citizens, economy, institutions, which is regarded as a duty of the government. <clears throat> the duty of the government. Now, 
That's very apropos, because what is our nation doing today under the Biden administration, under the Obama administration? What have they done today and in the past? They sure as hell haven't provided the security of the nation, which is the duty of the government. Remember, each of those people will take an oath to defend and uphold the Constitution, which is our laws. And mass security is a key component of that. Matter of fact, primary purpose of the government is to provide for NAS security. Now, if you take a look at the Department of Justice's definition, protecting our NAS security is the department's top priority. NAS security encompasses the national defense, foreign intelligence and counterintelligence, international and internal security, and foreign relations. This includes countering terrorism, combating espionage and economic espionage conducted for the benefit of any foreign government, foreign instrumentality, or foreign agent, enforcing export controls and sanctions, and disrupting cyber threats that are perpetuated by nation states, terrorists, or their agents or proxies. It goes on to say, Department of Justice definition, that when national security arise, issues arise during a criminal prosecution, they must be resolved through careful coordination by the Department of Justice with high-level officials from intelligence, military, and foreign affairs community. Remember, intelligence, military, and foreign affairs community, communities. In addition, the Attorney General or the Attorney General's designee has certain statutory authority and obligations related to national security prosecutions. That authority and those obligations may be properly exercised and met only with appropriate coordination <clears throat> within the department by the respective United States attorney's offices. So if you've got a general aspect in that security, basically it's the job of the government. You've got the Department of Justice's perspective. <clears throat> which encompasses national defense, foreign intelligence, counterintelligence, and such. Let me take a look at the United Nations, a useless organization. Their definition speaks to national security, has been described as the ability of a state to, to cater for the protection and defense of its citizenry. Global security, on the other hand, evolved from the necessity that nature and many other activities, particularly globalization, have placed on states. Now, I get that. Global security evolved from the necessity that nature and mother, many other activities, particularly globalization, have placed on states. These are demands that no NAS security apparatus has the capacity to handle on its own, and such as such call for the cooperation of states. The global interconnection and interdependence among states that the world has experienced and continues to experience since the end of the Cold War makes it necessary for states to cooperate more and work together. <clears throat> now, remember, global security, bringing it to the national security, bringing global security, evolved from the necessity that nature and many other activities, particularly globalization, have placed on states. Where the hell did globalization come from? the Klaus Schwab groups and a bunch of unelected officials. But they consider that global security. 
I disagree, but I wanted to give you those different definitions before I talk about what my definition of mass security is. Now, <clears throat> mass security to me does mean the protection of the people, its institutions, economy, and such, much as the general first definition provided, which said mass security is the security defense of a nation state, including its citizens, economy, and institutions which is regarded as the duty of the government. But for me, when you take a look at mass security, what's the real fundamental importance of mass security? Why is it so important for our day-to-day -day living? Well, the answer is because if we have no NASA security, we have no means to then protect our economic opportunities, our freedoms, our constitutional civil rights. If we have no national security, it means those rights, those freedoms, the independence we have are in jeopardy. But it also means, in a very basic, basic manner, is that you and your family, you and your family are then at risk. You and your family are at risk economically, security-wise, your freedoms, your independence. And that's really where the core of national security importance comes to me, is that if you cannot ensure the sanctity of your family, the freedom and independence, the economic opportunity, and other aspects for your family, then what else are we? But here in the United States, we have those freedoms. We have that independence. We have those opportunities but we take them for granted far too often. And we cannot, we cannot afford to continue to take those freedoms, opportunity and independence for granted anymore. We have to stand up. We have to start sacrificing to ensure those freedoms and stuff are perpetuated, not only for now, but for future generations of America. And why is that? Because if we fail at mass security here in the United States, what does that leave to us? It leaves us to despotism, tyranny, and different various ideologies, which all seek to subjugate, control, and then remove your independence, remove your freedoms. Okay? And with that, we have no social programs. If you lose that NASA security, if you lose that ability to defend the economic aspects, your citizens and other things, you have no social justice programs. You have no fair justice system. You have no uh, citizens and government that's functional because now it's something else that's going to take control. And that's really where it's a critically important distinction to understand is national security, you have to bring it home. It's not some uh, nebulous type of definition. It applies to the greater of America. In reality, it applies to every individual in America. And it's critically important to every individual in America and every family. Mm. Now, why is that important? Because when I go back in my own history and I take a look at what helped influence me mm. to think about mass security and to get into this arena, I have to go back to the age of about four or five years old. At that time, growing up, back in a rural Minnesota town. There were a number of different events going on in my life. 
that I was paying attention to and trying to understand as a young man. There was different types of physical alcohol and other types of abuse that was happening. And when I looked at my family in those circumstances as a five-year-old, I looked at that and I said, this is not, this is not the way to live. This is not the way we should be living. It is sort of an epiphany, even at that young age. <clears throat> so I began a journey from that point on to understand why was it, why was it that there's a level of insecurity at that level, at the family level in that period. But I looked at it not just only in my family. I looked within the small town I lived in. And there was somewhat of an economic divide, a social divide, and other aspects. But even with the economics and social divide, I found that the level of security for each of the families was very much the same, but and it also included a certain level of insecurity. That there are various social, cultural, or other aspects that infiltrated into either the wealth well-heeled, the more uh, wealthy members of the society, or those on the lower end of the spectrum, such as my family. Okay. Okay. Those social ills, those cultural ills, perpetuated throughout that small town in various different ways. But what, it, what, what was common at the same time as well is there was great respect in that community for overall broader national security. There was greater respect for the rule of law, and there was greater respect for the neighbors, for your neighbors and other individuals. But within there, we found pockets of cultural dysfunctionality. And with those pockets of cultural dysfunctionality, we found insecurity and, and def different issues that perpetuated. Now, I've talked about this aspect in my program before, and when I compare the number of people who are in poverty today versus what it was back in 1959. <clears throat> and what we find was that back in 1959 versus today, even though we've had a threefold increase in the number of blacks in population and two times plus increase in the number of whites in the population, we have now 350, 360 million people. There's about 30 to 32 million of them who still live below the poverty line. <clears throat> now, why is that? Because back in 1959, it's pretty much the same number. So why do you have this, like I was talked about, you have this cell of poverty that's perpetuated over 60 years, over 60 years across a variety of different presidential administrations, policies, and other aspects of government. <clears throat> but over 60 years, we haven't seen a change in that. So that level of insecurity, that level of unsureness, has continued and been persistent. Now, that begs the question of why is that? Why is that when we all have the same civil and constitutional rights? And why is that when we have the various levels of NASA security that are taking place in our nation, that you have this pocket of insecurity amongst the poor that's been perpetuated and ex exacerbated now for over 60 years. 
I'm going to talk about that more when I come back from break. But I want you to take a look at the new American Out Loud news site. The new American Out Loud news site. Take a look at all the great programs we have on there. We have not just an Ask Security Hour, but there's a variety of other programs on there. And you can hear them all on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate my show here on Apple Podcasts for me. I'll be right back. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. Welcome back to the NASA Security Hour. I'm Ed Huglin, your host for this evening. And what we're covering tonight, and the main topic is life's a bitch and then you die. Give thanks. And I'm going to talk about three specific areas about NASA security, what that means, cultural and social challenges for America, and appreciation for the blessings of our republic's freedoms, constitution, and opportunities. And in the last segment, I talked about what national security means to me. Okay, in a core fundamental form, it really comes down to then the family and being able to take care and secure your family, the independence, the freedoms, and economic opportunities for the family. But I also talked about how for generations, now six decades plus, we've had a pocket of insecurity, a pocket of poverty that has been consistent over those six decades where the same number of blacks and same number of whites have remained in that pocket of poverty throughout those six decades, about 30-something million of them. And the numbers really haven't changed in total since back in 1959, despite, as I said, a threefold increase in the black population and a twofold increase in the white population. But in an article in the Washington Times, we take a look at that pocket of insecurity it seems to be growing now because it says in this article, the American dream takes another hit. A poll finds fewer still believe, fewer believers are thinking that America is the uh, greatest nation in the world and the American dream. It's by Mallory Wilson. Because mm-hmm. back in November of, of 23, she wrote this. 
She wrote, fewer and fewer voters believe in the American dream or the idea that hard work helps you become successful, according to this new poll. About 36% of voters still believe the dream holds true. 36% of voters believe the dream still holds true. Even more voters, 45%, said the dream was once true, but now it isn't. 18%, it was never true, is what they said. This is, this is an amazing poll. <clears throat> Belief in the American dream has been on the decline. In 2016, 48% believed in it, down to 53% in 2012. The year we have 2012, 53% of Americans believed in the American dream. Now it's 36%. In the new poll, it says fewer women believe in the American dream with only 30% of women saying it's still alive compared to 46% of male voters at the same age. Younger voters, younger voters at 28% are inclined not to believe in the American dream. Or 48% of those over 65 still believe it holds true. The pollsters asked voters if they thought life in America was better today than it was 50 years ago. Now, remember, I was talking about six decades here. So the pollsters were asked, if life in America is better than it today than it was 50 years ago, and whether the economic and political systems were stacked against them. Half of the voters found life to be worse now than it was 50 years ago, and half agreed the system was stacked against them. <laughs> now think about this. When you have 33 million Americans in poverty, the same pocket of poverty that's persistent over six decades, and one can go back and take a look at, well, who are those people and who are they who were involved in this poverty aspect, where they live? What you'll find, I believe, what you'll find is it's pretty much the same pockets throughout the national system, same families for the most part throughout the national system. Although some people escape poverty, others do not. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit because it goes back to this overall aspects of Americans' blessings and, and the cultural challenges we have here. Now, inflation was one of the most common reasons people gave for saying they didn't feel economically confident. <clears throat> okay, but inflation comes and goes. It, it was back during the Carter administration, ran rampant. <clears throat> Again, now through another Democratic administration, it's running rampant. But when you see a poll drop like that from... Um, Back in 2012, 53% of Americans believed in the American dream. Now it's down to only 36% of voters. <clears throat> Houston, we have a problem. The problem is here is that in the cognitive war here, what you've seen is the use of ideology, religion, and issues to drive narratives and false narratives to subjugate and twist the minds of our youth and our different generations. <clears throat> You've seen our education system, which over those last six decades has become bankrupt as an and being used as an indoctrination center. Mm -hmm. This is not Republican versus Democrat. That's a false choice. What this is really an ideological divide between those who seek to use the policies in government not to provide national security for you, but to subjugate you, to control you to remove your civil constitutional rights, your freedoms, your economic independence, and your economic opportunity. 
Now, the reason I bring this up is because it's been a slow progress over those last six decades. It's slowly progressed. But you can see it in the polls. So it's like the bowling frog type of scenario. Americans are feeling the water getting warmer. They're starting to see it, get, they get, feel it, they can sense it, <clears throat> but they're not quite figuring out what's going on here. Well, the problem is, is that it's a multifold challenge because the education system is bankrupt and the policies, look at the policies from back in the civil rights era aspect, is the Democrats realize that they're losing the battle in the elections and for the black vote. So what did they do? They switched to a narrative of victimization, a victimization and saying that the other party is subjugating you. So a very Orwellian sense, okay? Same thing they're doing today. Sure. Now they're calling mega people and other folks dictatorial. But what are they doing now in themselves? Okay, with the weaponization and security apparatus and other things. They're subjugating. So the narrative has changed back then, but also the policies did. What did the policies do to those people who were in the welfare system, the, the poor, the 33 million Americans I talked about? Well, what it did first is it destroyed the nuclear family because it said if you're receiving welfare and you have a father in your home, you can't receive the welfare. So therefore, it made the families jettison two-parent families and become single-parent families. The other thing it did is allowed the Democrats to start to drive a narrative of the social injustice and subjugation of Blacks. But these were the policies they created. But the narrative was quite effective in terms of bringing this forth and creating this victimization aspect, which then perpetuated over the last six decades. And you've seen that in the last 15 years now when everyone who disagrees with something they're trying to do is called racist or is labeled, canceled or other aspects. It's quite an effective strategy because it's worked. And when you take a look at that poll, you can see the Americans are realizing for some odd reason, they're not seeing the American dream anymore. <clears throat> but that's a false narrative. That's the narrative they want to drive, the narrative of victimization, okay? The propaganda whores are at it again, okay? As I said, this is not Republican versus Democrat. Mm -hmm. What you have is a Democratic Party who's become more and more far left and has taken over by a progressive section of radicals who use and look at communism, fascism, autocracy, theocracy and other aspects of despotism, dictatorship as their means to the end to gain absolute power. And that's why you've seen here in the last three and a half years now with the Biden administration, over nine and a half million people come across our border and you're seeing that growth increase dramatically here in the last year. Why? Because that 23 million whites and eight and a half million blacks below the poverty line are waking up to what's happening. And so they have to be replaced with the new plantation dependency. And that new plantation dependency is to bring in another group of folks who are less aware, more ignorant, less educated, so they can put them on the government dime, which they already are, and start to control them. And 
because our education system is already bankrupt and being used as an indoctrination center, what do you think is going to happen to all these new kids that are coming in? What do you think they're going to be taught? So it's quite an effective strategy that the left is using that's completely changed the American dream, basically destroyed the American dream. So what we talked about up front was what NAS security meant. Okay, protecting the economic, social, and other aspects of the citizenry. But when you take a look at what's happening in America, and this is going to be the theme here throughout the election, what have you seen consistently? You've seen the removal of rights. You've seen people who exercise their constitutional rights, parents, called domestic terrorists. You've seen people who don't agree with false science, canceled, censored, and then you find out the truth later on was actually that people were lying to you. That's why the American dream is viewed as being in trouble, but it's very relevant and it's here today. This is part of the cultural and social challenges for America. The far left has pitted this left against right, but that's a false misnomer. What we have here is we have a vast majority of Americans, 70 plus percent now, believe in America and believe that we're going in the wrong direction. But 30% of the lemmings and the useless idiots who believe we're on the right track, okay, all they see is the acquiescence of more power and benefit for them and their so-called self-anointed elite friends. So this is what we have to take a look at here as we move into the next election. What's happening in America? What's happening with the American dream? What's happening with the civil constitutional rights? And what's happening to the security of your family? As we've seen in a lot of recent reports on the news, the nuclear family is slowly disappearing. But that's purposeful. It's intentful. Why? Because they want to control and subjugate. And the more they can divide and victimize people by race, by category, by group, by age, the more they're going to do that. That's why this cognitive war, the domestic cognitive war, is critically important to understand. And I've written about this extensively in my new book, The Cognitive War, Why We're Losing and How We Can Win. It's available on Amazon. But I'm going to come, I'll give you a few examples here in just one second. So, for example, in a recent article in the Washington Post, I'm going to talk about election 2024. This false narrative continued to play out, and they try to drive issues in the cultural and social challenges for America and continually try to divide us by race and class. And in this article, under Imperfect Union, it's, it's state the title, The Hidden Biases at Play in the U.S. Senate. And underneath that, the subtitle is, People of Color Get Significantly Less Representation Than White Voters. And that's not the only way the Senate is skewed. <laughs> it's a, a, an article by a few of these typical liberal guys, Dan Boltz, Clara Morse, and Nick Mortropolis, okay, back in November as well. In the article, they talk about the Senate is never designed to represent all people equally, but over recent decades, it's become unrepresentative in the ways founders could not have imagined. So, they start off on here again, crapping on the Constitution, crapping on our 250-plus years of things and working right. And now they want to try to uh, victimize people even further and show that there's a divide here of a racial class by representation in the Senate. 
The solution is what became known as the Great Compromise, a Senate that was designed to treat every state equally. Okay, they said go on about this. The new nation in 1790 consisted of 13 states. They go through the history and such like that. Said first, the disparities in power among voters in different states have widened as states have grown unevenly. And so what they're talking about here is really population growth in the different states. So you get a lot of population in the East Coast, you get a lot of population in the West Coast. Okay. And because the population grows on the East Coast and West Coast, okay, but every state gets to have representatives. Okay. They're trying to then use that to say, oh, we have a skewed, skewed representation that disadvantages blacks. So it says in the article, as a result, there are now a staggering difference in the size between America's most and least populous states. In 1960, the difference was 17 million, but today it's 39 million. By 2040, the gap will be 46 million. Okay. This has created a representation problem in the Senate. It says, if you are a resident of California with 68 times the population of Wyoming, your influence in the Senate is paltry. But you see what they're doing here. They're purposely trying to take population assets, something that's worked well for 250 years, is the equal state representation in the Senate. And I'll talk about the House and say that people of color are unrepresented here, underrepresented here. Okay. Again, what are they doing? They're trying to divide America into different categories. And this is where they, again, use California. Versus Wyoming, okay, which Wyoming is 83% white, California is Hispanic and black, et cetera, blah, 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 and talk about these disparities. Hmm. Now, they also talk about a GOP edge amongst this stuff here. But this is part of the cultural problem. This is part of the cultural problem when the po propaganda whores of the Washington Post, the Washington Compost, come out and print this type of stuff. What they're trying to do slowly but surely is subvert our constitution, subvert our laws, and subvert how we've operated in this country for the American dream for the last 250 years. Now they go on to say there's no simple solution to a Senate that, that today is less representative than it has ever been. Well, senators are supposed to work across the aisle with each other. The senators can't dictate a policy or law by themselves. All 50 states have to come into play here, but they don't talk about that. They don't talk about that because what they want to do is they want to go ahead and shove policy down your throat. That's why they also bring up the, the statehood aspects, again, of the Puerto Rico, the District of Columbia, and other places. Why? Because they want to skew the Senate control in favor of the Democrats. So here you have another propaganda whore article. What's it doing to advance America? Nothing. What's it doing to advance the American dream? Nothing. But what it is doing is driving cultural and social issues and challenges for America. What they also don't tell you in this article and speak to you about in this article is with the 9 million illegals they just let in and the 30 million they already have, that 46 million unrepresentation, okay, they've just added 90% of that on top of the population as a whole of unrepresentative people, but who you are paying for their welfare, their social services, their health care, their security. You're doing that over and above the 33 million Americans who are already below the poverty line. 
So you see how they play this game? Because now they can take that next 36 to 39 million illegals that are already in the country now and use that to further divide, further cause chaos, and further declare you have these underrepresented folks. And now we must give them amnesty, okay? We must give them free education, free health care, and all this other stuff. But that's exactly where they're going with this stuff. So when I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. And we'll get into the last section about Americans' blessings and opportunities. America Out Loud talk radio plays on iHeartRadio Network. You can listen to us on a media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa. It's streamed 24 by 7. So go to americaoutloud.news, news, and get all the details and listen to programs. I'll be right back. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out americaoutloud.shop. Look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back to the National Security Hour. Today, the theme of the program is life's a bitch and then you die. Give thanks. And so we talked about national security, the importance of national security to the family. And we're talking about the cultural and social challenges in America, which help people feel, feel potentially that the American dream is evaporating. But we also talked about how in this cognitive war, the domestic cognitive war, how the far left is using that false narrative that the American dream is dying, but they're advancing other false narratives to basically subjugate, subvert our constitution, rights, and freedoms from within. All these aspects 
and to then disrupt and destroy national security, including when you let 39 million illegal aliens into the United States over the last six decades. 39 million. And you have 33 million people who are below the poverty line. The same 33 million from 1959 in terms of numbers. And you add 39 million people on top of that who don't have voting rights, but who are giving birth to American citizens who then become dependent, who then give voting rights. Now, you see where this is going? It's a purposeful, slow subjugation of America. And that's why when I talked about the poll in the last segment, you see Americans see the American dream evaporating. But you also see the belief that their rights the constitutional rights matter less today because they feel they're under attack, and rightfully so. So let's take another example here recently with the Hamas attacks. And let's take a look at what's happening in our American universities. So not only our K through 12 has been in indoctrination centers, okay, who perpetuate these stereotypes of black versus white and other aspects. But what they don't tell you, and what they never seem to address before I get to the anti-Semitic universities, what they don't ever address is, why is it we don't address poverty as an issue regardless of race? Because it matters not if you're poor, whether you're black or white, you're poor. And you have insecurities in that little echo chamber. But over six decades, that echo chamber has remained a little echo chamber, a little silo into itself. But what they've done is taken that little echo chamber, not of all people in poverty, above the poverty line, but they've amplified the echo chamber of that of the blacks only. They've amplified it and painted the false narrative that basically the only people in America who are poor are black. The only people who are being subjugated are black. The only people who are not given equitable treatment are black. <laughs> But let me say again, every American by, by birth here in America is one of the most privileged people on earth. That's why you now have 39 million illegals in this country. Because the 33 million Americans who are below the poverty line right now aren't and weren't educated to help them understand what they could do to get out of poverty and stuff. What they could do to advance their economic security and advance their livelihood. And that's where my own story comes in some. I grew up in a family that lived mostly below the poverty line, food stamps and other aspects. Now, in my family, which is highly democratic at the time, and still is, back in the People's Republic of Minnesota, I had a sister who went out and she got her own job. She was a welder and then she became a nurse. I had another brother who went to the army, had a career in the army. But then I had three other brothers who listened to this narrative. Listen to the narrative that you're a victim. Listen to the narrative you're a victim and here's some free money, here's some free things to take care of yourself. Okay. And they did. The whole damn lives they lived on that welfare. Okay. But I, like... My other sister and my other brother took a different route. Why is that? Because at that early age, at five years old, I had that epiphany that 
I didn't want to live in a dysfunctional environment. I wanted to move beyond that. And this wasn't quite right. And so I studied over those years and I watched over the years and understood what was happening in that echo chamber was a horrific set of dysfunctionality that was perpetuated across the echo chamber of those below the poverty line. In many cases, some of those same dysfunctionalities went across the economic strata of America as well, as we've seen with the Jeffrey Epstein's and other aspects. But many of us escaped the poverty aspect and moved on. But the fact that you still have those same numbers today as you did back then tells you in America, there's only one party that's really pushing for you to be independent, free, economically, exercise your freedoms, exercise your constitutional rights. And that's not the Democratic Party, because they've done exactly the opposite over the years here. And when you take a look at our high school, eight or 12 schools, and you take a look what happened in COVID, we found out what they were being indoctrinated with. You start to understand is, okay, not only did they have this bubble of economic security amongst the 33 million poor, that the Democrats have now purposely added another 39 million on that to that plantation dependency on the U.S. government. Why? Because all those people will have more children. And that plantation dependency then grows. And then with that indoctrinization, you keep them subjugated. You keep them below the poverty line. You keep them dependent on government. Then your economic security and your family security belongs and keeps a holding to those who will give you a handout. Not a hand up, but give you things for free. <laughs> now, we've seen the same things in our universities. And it reached a peak here with the Hamas attacks when we found out Throughout all of our major universities, there are a massive number of demonstrations that were pro-Hamas for these people who butchered and murdered innocents. And you see amongst our younger population, they have no clue as to what the hell history is. And they're blaming Israel for what happened, right? Again, the victimization aspect here. So in this article on anti-Semitic universities by Ben Shapiro, it was just here in December of the last year. He says, I know a little bit about kinds of speech that are generally welcomed on campus, because, of course, he's been blocked numerous times from speaking on campuses. So I also know that were I a student, any of these universities, and if I said as a student what I would routinely say as a speaker, he said, I'd undoubtedly be dragged before the administration and hit with sanctions, okay, because of so-called microaggressions. But apparently, he writes, at the top of the universities in America are all those sensitivities disappear for one specific group, the Jews. <clears throat> now, here I'll argue with them is that it's not just the Jews. It's anyone who has a conservative belief <clears throat> in our independence, freedoms, and rights, and civil rights, constitutional rights here. Anyone who, who fights and pushes back on the big lie of racism in America sees the same thing. Okay. So he says basically here, one can make the case for free speech on campus. He says, I can and I do, but one cannot pretend universities protect students against harassment and then soft pedal the Holocaust level rhetoric. Okay. He talks about two reasons for this. First, he says the left and university presidents are almost the platonic ideal of intellectual leftists, believes that Jews are not part of the intersectional coalition of the oppressed. All right. Second, 
he says the hard left hates Israel. <laughs> hard left hates Israel because American Jews, okay, Israel is too successful in the region. <clears throat> well, so he has some points here. But the point of his article, and the reason I brought it up, is because across our universities, you've seen this massive indoctrinization at that level as well. Driving people to believe, again, subjugated versus the subjugator, the oppressed versus the oppressed. And what do you see in America? It's black versus white. In Israel, it's the Jews versus the Arabs. But here in America, this has been going on for decades. Over in the Middle East, it's been going on for millennium. But this is all part of the cognitive war. This is all part of the cognitive war and the cultural and social challenges we have in America because our education system is bankrupt. It's completely bankrupt. Now let me turn to the last part of the show for today. <clears throat> when I talk about life's a bitch and then you die of give thanks, think about our national security. Think about the cultural divides I've just talked about. But take, then take a look around the world. Take a look at the autocracies around the world. Take a look at the Marxist governments around the world. Take a look what happened under socialism, communism, and fascism. Take a look at the theocracies, like in Iran. Across all these different facets here, what have you seen in common? The subjugation and brutal subjugation and murder of hundreds of millions of people by their governments to maintain that subjugation, whether it's in Iran, whether it's in any of the Arab countries, they're all dictatorships. The level of dictatorship may vary, but they're all dictatorships. They may have a king or something like that, but they're all dictatorships. <clears throat> you take a look at Cuba, still dictatorship, socialism. Okay. Take a look at communist China. One plus billion people completely subjugated. All right. Take a look at today in Russia. You have a dictatorship. Part of the fallen Soviet Union, but you still have a dictatorship. There's no freedoms there. And you take a look around the world, which our youth don't. They live in this myopic bubble here in the United States. Where freedoms are given, opportunities are given. And now they don't appreciate it because they're listening to these false narratives. But they don't realize, again, that by birth, they are the most privileged people on earth. And that to exercise those rights, you only have to do one thing, primarily, is vote. But when you vote with the woke and you vote based on these false narratives, what happens? You see what happens in our progressive cities. They're destroying their own. What do you think they're going to do to the rest of America? So for this upcoming election and for 2024, we have to be clear in our message. We have to drive the specifics of our message. We have to seize the narrative and bring fact and logic against fiction and emotion. We have to start driving proactive and positive legislative agendas proactive and positive legislative agendas that address address why is it we still have 33 million Americans living below the poverty line. Proactive and positive legislative agendas that address 
address and remove the 39 million illegals here who are going to cause us trillions of dollars more in social services, economic, education, welfare, health care, and other impacts. <clears throat> we have to take a look at the proactive and positive legislation to remove nefarious applications like TikTok, which are being used to subvert our youth. We're going to have to overhaul our national security apparatus, which is why the American people see the American dream evaporating. Because we're becoming more like a tyrannical fascist society than ever before. When the FBI and the Department of Justice are weaponized against the citizens every single day. We have to overhaul it. Not only is it being weaponized, but it's broken. 9-11, the Arab Springs, the China flu, the cover-ups, the dossier, the 51 intelligence officials. I mean, it's been so politicized and so weaponized. It's so broken. It needs to be completely overhauled from top to bottom. <clears throat> and we have to ensure the resiliency of our republic, constitution, and freedoms. We have to bring back civics and basic educations and mandate it by law. We have to, in my opinion, and I write about this in my book, we have to start a new conscription system where we everybody serves, everybody serves at some level in the government or in the military in the first three or four years out of high school and or college. Because we can no longer afford, we can no longer afford the deep state set of bureaucrats who buried themselves in there or using the system and subverting it from within, who are bastardizing the authorities that are given to them, or abrogating their oaths of office to uphold and defend the Constitution, <clears throat> abrogating by then purposely subverting that Constitution and allowing millions of people in this country in illegally, and then weaponizing their authorities and stuff against the people. These are the things we cannot do. <clears throat> But when you take a look at what we have overall in this country, and this is where I'm moving towards the end of this program, when you take a look at what we have overall in this country, it is the greatest country on this face of this earth. Why do you think 9 million people rushed over here the last three years? Why do you think 39 million people over the last couple decades? It's because of the freedoms we have, the independence and such. <laughs> Our Constitution and our freedoms don't guarantee you success. <clears throat> what they guarantee everybody is an equal opportunity to exercise your constitutional your civil rights and with blood, sweat, and tears to succeed or not succeed in business. Life is never easy. Life isn't supposed to be easy. Okay. It teaches you throughout your life, and you learn from that or you don't. What the Democrats and left would like you to think about is that if you don't succeed, it's someone else's fault. You blame someone else. You victimize. You're the victim. That's bullshit. If you don't succeed, they'll say, try, try again. And that's why life's a bitch and then you die. Because you work hard your whole life, you enjoy some aspects of it, but then you die. What do you what it's what you leave behind then for the others to build off of which what really matters in this country? 
what the Democrats and far left want to do is subjugate and victimize and leave nothing for the future for anyone because they want to give it and take it for themselves to maintain absolute power. And that's why life's a bitch and then you die, give thanks. You damn well better give thanks for the country you have now and you damn well better start standing up for this country and speak out because not left versus right, Democrat versus Republican, to the Americans versus dystopian psychotics who want to upset the apple cart and destroy this nation. We can't afford to let them do it. All right. So give thanks for what you have. Think about what you have from the day you were born compared to anyone else on the face of this earth. You are the most privileged people on the face of this earth. That's why millions of people are flocking here because of the opportunity it has. There's no guarantee. It's not easy, but it's the only place on earth you can become whatever you want and have no one tell you you can't because there's no restrictions. The American dream is still alive. Okay. And if you believe in God, as I said at the beginning of my broadcast tonight, life's a bitch, then you die is the most optimistic statement because then when you die, you know where you're going to heaven. And when you die, you know you're leaving behind something wonderful for people to follow. I'm here on the National Security Hour to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. I'll go outside the fog of the daily chaos to give you a strategic perspective on national security issues and speak truth to power. The power of we the people, so we together can best ensure the resilience and security of a republic. Thanks for joining us on the mission. The National Security Hour is the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America.